Well, 2020 has given us many painful stories of people being separated from one another. Just the other day, I heard the account of uh, a young man from Melbourne who was over in India with work and then was trapped when the borders were closed with COVID-19. He was cut off from his family, his young family. He'd hoped to be back in Melbourne with his wife uh, to be with her for the birth of their, their daughter. And he obviously has not been able to return. So he's been over there for six months, hasn't seen his infant daughter. He's tried many, many times to book flights to get back, but it looks like unscrupulous um, travel agents are actually snapping up tickets in bulk and then on selling them at a huge markup. And he just can't afford the price. Uh, the one time when he was able to, to get a book a ticket, uh, the flight was cancelled. Our hearts truly go out to this bloke. And who among us can forget that young couple from Lismore in northern New South Wales? They had a newborn son, but he was gravely ill, and it was closer to fly him to Brisbane than to Sydney. So they flew into Brisbane for treatment, but the Queensland borders were closed and they were told they'd have to quarantine for 14 days before they could get in to see their son. What a start to parenthood. That's just plain tough, it's really hard. And I wonder how they felt when only a few weeks later, they would have heard on the news that for the AFL Grand Final, all the executives from COVID-ridden Melbourne with the AFL are going to be able to go to the Grand Final and not have to quarantine for 14 days. Perhaps in these things, we're being given just a small glimpse of what it must have been like for Aboriginal parents with their children in the stolen generation having their children taken away from them by government decree. They're powerless to do anything about it. They don't even have a vote in the system and they just have to sit and endure it and then watch white Aussies be able to raise their children without any such concerns. I think that point is not lost on most of us. Our hearts go out to these people. Well, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 give us a glimpse into another angle, if you like, of the agony of separation. It's one with a twist beyond the normal. If you haven't read 1 Thessalonians 2 from verse 17 through to the end of chapter 3, then can I encourage you to do that now? What this reading gives us is insight into the inner turmoil of the Apostle Paul when he was separated from the Thessalonians, a young church. Uh, uh, there, there were no mature believers among them, just young converts, and he was torn away from them and, and had to flee because of persecution. Jacob pointed out last week that Paul used, used parental terminology he described himself in chapter 2 uh, verses 7 and 8 just as a nursing mother 
cares for her children, so we cared for you. Again, in verse 11, he says, like uh, you know we dealt with each of you as a father does with his own children. Well, here in verse 17, this week, we see him using the term orphan. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So this parental language, mother, father, orphan, is describing something more than just a helpful image. There's a spiritual reality behind it. And it's helpful for us to understand this because it frames everything else that Paul says in this letter. We know about the tragic separation of natural family members. But what we see here is that in the Spirit, by the grace of God, people who are separated, who are united in Christ, can experience a parallel sense of tragedy or angst or concern or just total sense of of utter being cut off as anyone in a natural family. Those who are bonded in Christ by the Father through his Son in the Holy Spirit will experience family-type feelings when it comes to separation. Paul opened his letter in chapter 1 with these words, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's family language. We see again uh, in verses 4 and 5, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. In God the Father, in his son, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, mother, father, orphan. These are all the language of family. And Paul is saying, and he's actually reminding the Thessalonians that although he is separated from them, they are not separated from God. They are in God the Father and in his son, Jesus Christ. And, and Paul and the Thessalonians are still brothers and sisters in Christ, but there's an orphaning happening. They're, they're separated. He's cut off from them. The gospel has power to create family ties in Christ by the Spirit that parallel the deepest family ties on earth. So what we have here in chapters 1, 2 and 3 of 1 Thessalonians is hard evidence that the gospel has the power to create deep love and bonds of affection between people who are not humanly related. It is love of another kind. It is not earthly, fleshly, human love, not the love of family, it is God's love from above. It is agape love. It is the love of God himself 
poured out into our hearts through the blood of Christ shed on the cross, worming its way into our hearts, into the very strands of our spiritual DNA by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to how John puts it in his gospel. He says, Yet to all who did receive him, that's the incarnate son Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Listen to the words Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Pharisee that came to him by night, wanting to know more. And Jesus told him he must be born again. And in response to that, Nicodemus is mystified. And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. The very verse before the famous one in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, says this, The Son of Man, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Eternal life in Christ. One of God's gifts to us through COVID-19 has been to highlight that separation between Christians is not good. The instinct of God's Abba Father Spirit amongst us all just cries out to be together again. We want to be together because we know we have a common father. There is a common spiritual bond between us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We desire to get together as a family. All true Christians share the same parentage. We're part of God's heavenly family. And there's something about the instinct together that just tells us that. In the natural realm, we know that IVF babies grow up and often wish to meet their biological father and find out if they have any biological brothers or sisters. And so it is with those born of the Spirit. God has designed marriage and family to be a picture of a spiritual phenomenon that people might search for him as their heavenly father and find their brothers and sisters in Christ, and join the family. Now, whatever Paul writes here to the Thessalonians must be seen against that spiritual reality of sharing in God's life through the gospel. It's the gospel that did it. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. It's the gospel that unites us with the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, together as church, as part of God's family. Now, I want us to notice three other things that Paul highlights here because of this fact. There's three ways we see the gospel working itself out in Paul's relationship with, 
with the Thessalonians. Firstly, Paul's love was sorely tested by being separated from them. It was a love intensified by separation. So his use of those family terms, mother, father, orphan, show that level of anguish. Paul felt about being separated from his brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in Thessalonica like a mum or a dad. He felt orphaned. But look what else he says. He says, you'll see it coming out in chapter 3, verses 1 and 5. He says, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. There's an intense longing at work in his in his life. He says twice, for when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Then again, verse 5, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. There's a drivenness about his actions that can only be explained by the depth of his love for them. It's like the love of a mother or a father for children. The separation pained him so much that he was willing to put himself out for their sake, just like a parent does. So verses 2 and 3 in in chapter 3, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. In other words, he reached the point in his love for the Thessalonians that his desire to know how they were going exceeded his desire to have Timothy with him in Athens labouring for the gospel there because he was trying to make more disciples in Athens as well. But his, his heartache, his concern for how they were going, was so sky high that he said, I'd rather have to do without Timothy so that he can bring back news about you guys than me continue to have Timothy and help me in the gospel here. Now that's saying something. We might be tempted to think, look, what's the big deal? Paul If you have such faith in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, then entrust the Thessalonians to God. Don't don't sweat. Don't lose sleep over it. God's bigger than you are. Just settle down and trust God. But like any caring parent, Paul knows that's not really a solution. It's like a parent who's concerned because their child hasn't come home from school and they're too young to be out overnight by themselves. There's anxiety. There's deep concern. Where's Johnny? He hasn't come home. Where is he? Is he over at a friend's place? And Paul has that similar depth of concern. He can't just sit back and sleep at night and say a happy prayer for the Thessalonians and think all will be well, God's in control. They were young converts. And he knows enough about the Christian walk, about the fact that there's an enemy prowling around seeking whom he may devour, that 
these young converts were not yet ready to stand on their own two feet. They were not mature enough yet to be able to, if you like, marry and reproduce and have a family of their own, to rise up and be robust enough and strong enough. They weren't at that level of maturity, and so he had deep concern for them. But his motives are for their discipleship. It's not just because he has a nice family, fatherly concern for them. His concern is for their growth in the faith. We see in verse 10 that he recognises there's something still lacking in their faith. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. They were too young. He knew they were vulnerable. He knew Satan would be like a roaring lion with them, prowling around seeking to devour. And he wanted to do something about it. So we see in verse 18 that he recognises the handiwork of the devil in all of this, somehow. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. He doesn't say how that might have been. He doesn't go into the details of it. Perhaps he contracted a virus. Or there were no available chariots to Thessalonica. Or unscrupulous travel agents in Athens were buying up tickets bulk and then on selling them at a huge price. Maybe border restrictions had been imposed. I don't know. We're not told. But he recognises that back behind it all, there's a sinister force at work trying to hinder him from getting back with the Thessalonians because they're vulnerable. So there is a deep angst, and it's a concern for their welfare. How are they going? How will they cope? So Paul knew how to put on that gospel armour. He detailed that in his letter to the Thessalonians. He was no fool. He, he was standing firm himself, but were they? His glorious desire was not wealth, or fame, but to see the Thessalonians presented to God the Father, perfect, blameless in Christ Jesus at the last day. And we see that coming out. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Just like parents see their children as the, their future, if you like, the, their glory and their future, their, their glorious hopes are invested in their children. Paul had high hopes for the Thessalonians in God. His desire was to see them reach full maturity in the Lord and go on to use all the gifts that God wanted to give them and for them to be productive in gospel service. And his desire was driven by the Spirit of God in that. He knew they needed his further input. It's a mark of spiritual maturity to desire the best for others for their sake and to regard that as our chief reward. These are the kinds of missionaries 
pastors, elders, growth group leaders, Bible study leaders, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers, um, bakers, you know, what is it? Um, candlestick makers, um, bakers, butchers. We, we need all kinds of Christians who will live out the Christian life with a deep concern for others, whether, in voca- whether they're in vocational ministry or not. But when the Spirit is at work in someone's life, that's what happens. There's a deep yearning and concern for the spiritual welfare of other people. We need men and women who are not afraid to tell it like it is, who recognise that the stakes are high, who can see what's happening even when other people don't know what's going on. But they're out scanning around, looking out for others, and they can see it. They understand. And so they're motivated to act on behalf of others. It's not about self. It's not about self-aggrandizement. It's not about saying, hey, look at me and look what I'm doing. It's about deep, genuine concern for the gospel, the work of the gospel in the hearts and lives of other people. And at the end of the day, that's what motivates someone to leave us and to travel overseas to another culture and share Jesus with people I've never met and are struggling to learn their language and know so little about their culture, but they're driven by the deepest desire to see them come to know the Lord and grow to maturity in Christ. Do you aspire to be that kind of person? It may not be overseas as a missionary or becoming a pastor or even an elder or a growth group leader. But to be that kind of parent to your children, to be that kind of friend to your Christian friends, to be that kind of person in the church who's available out of a deep love for people, that you want to make yourself available to serve the Lord. And you look out for people because you're concerned. So we see Paul's deep spiritual concern expressed through love intensified by separation. But Paul's joy was restored, or if you like, intensified by good news that Timothy brought back about them. So we see in verses 6 through to 10, the depth of Paul's joy, the strategy of sending Timothy on his behalf had paid off. Timothy had, had made it there and passed on his greetings, the greetings that Paul had given to him to take to them, and he'd no doubt preached a good gospel sermon or two to to them, led a Bible study or three or four, um, just got in amongst the people and tried to help stir them up in the Lord and encourage them, answer their questions about the Christian life and living. But then he too had to leave them. They were going to be left on their own again. And he came back. He made his way back to Paul. When he gets back, he says to Paul, it's okay. In the grand scheme of things, they're doing all right. 
They're holding the fort. They're standing firm in the faith. They're not giving way. The devil hasn't destroyed all our work. The work of the Spirit is still present. They are growing in Jesus. And Paul says, thanks be to God. Hallelujah. He is so happy. So he says in verse 6, you see it coming out. Timothy has just now brought good news about your faith and love. That you long to see us just as we long to see you. That's a good sign. And this makes him happy. For now we really live, verse 8, since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul's greatest fear had proved groundless. His gospel labours had not been in vain. They were standing firm in the teaching that he'd given them about Jesus and the Christian life. The Spirit really was at work in them, bearing gospel fruit, and it was continuing. Now parental concern gives way to parental joy. Paul is like a delighted mum or dad watching their child rip the wrapping off a birthday present. His is the joy of paying the price and then sitting back and watching the joy that comes when others share in the labours that he's expended. It's that spiritual maturity. You can just just see it. I, I've experienced it as a parent and as a grandparent. Just looking at children, you see their eagerness, a birthday present, they're ripping the paper off, and then there's nothing will intensify your joy more than if they come up and say, thank you, and they wrap their arms around you and say, I love you. That's effectively what Paul had received back through Timothy about them. You were as eager to see us as we are to see you. He's happy. All his Christmases, all his birthdays have come at once. And that is a sign of spiritual maturity. He wasn't seeking their money. He wasn't seeking anything else but their spiritual welfare in Jesus. Their maturity in the Lord. Their roots going down deep into Jesus and bearing fruit upward to eternal life. So the gospel was working both ways. Paul had confirmation about that. The love was mutual. They were standing side by side with him in Christ and they were happy to let him know about it. And that made Paul so glad in the middle of his own distress and persecution. He gives a hint of that in verse 7. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, so it's not just distress over the Thessalonians, he's got persecution happening where he is too. We were encouraged about you because of your faith. So at the centre of all this family longing, is not just some benign grandfatherly or fatherly um, affection for the Thessalonians. It was the deepest concern for their spiritual welfare. How are they really going in Jesus? Together, they were adding to the praise of the angels, Paul and Timothy now, because they'd received the news back. They are going really well, all things considered. 
So it's like they're, they're just saying, thanks be to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, great Jehovah three in one. I know it gives me tremendous joy to see someone, anyone, come to faith in Jesus. And it gives me equal joy to see them growing in the Lord, deepening in their faith, strengthening in their Christian life and affection, desiring to share Jesus with others, eager to get into the Word and understand God better and and develop in their prayer life. That gives me tremendous joy. And anyone who grows up in the Lord will reach a point where their greatest desire is to see others progressing and it can even exceed your own desire for how you're going in the Lord, just like happens with a parent when they have to put a lot of their own stuff on hold out of concern and desire and love for the needs of their children. When I see a battle-worn Christian, an old salt, an old saint in the faith, who's just transparently honest, who's learned humility the hard way through many, many failures, uh, just tell it like it is and be honest, but still be keen to take up the cudgels, take up the, the, the weapons of the gospel and go out to venture forth and, and strike a blow against the enemy. They're still keen to, to take an interest in others. When I see 80-year-olds taking an interest in teenagers, I know the Spirit of God is at work. When I see teenagers taking an interest in older people and willing to listen to what they say, I know the Holy Spirit's at work. When, when we see children eager to go to Sunday school and eager to, to learn from their parents. They want to read the Bible. The Spirit of God is at work. That rejoices anyone's heart. It can bring tears to my eyes to see these things happen and to hear about them happening. It is God, through his Son, by his Spirit, who is doing the work here. That's the source of Paul's joy. He says, how can we thank God enough for you, verse 9, in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly. It's a spiritual desire that's fueled by God himself and will only be satisfied by God working in each other's lives. It's a God-centred desire faith that we see, a God-centered love that we see that Paul has. So friends, don't despair. God is at work. He will build his church. We, we might feel under siege here in our culture. I know I do at times, but I want to take a leaf out of Paul's book. As anxious as I might be about what might be happening, what the future might hold. I want to put on the gospel armour. Yes, I'm concerned, but I know that God has a habit of raising up Timothys. I know that God has a way of organising creativity to overcome 
hindrances, even satanic hindrances. Here in COVID-19 times, we're seeing God's church rise up in some creative new ways and do things. We've seen cluster groups pop up where the, the desire of the spirit to gather is such that people didn't want to just remain isolated in their lounge rooms, but they wanted to meet together up to the legal limit. And so they gathered in clusters in homes. And it's still continuing because we can't all meet together at once under the same roof. This is a sign of the Spirit at work. It gives great joy. But there's continuing need as well. We see here a third thing, not just the intensity and the God-centeredness of Paul's joy at the good news, but the intensity of his prayers his continuing prayers for the Thessalonians. Chapter 3, verses 11, 12, 13. He says in verse 10, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is still lacking in your faith. We see intense prayer motivated by need. There's been intense love, love intensified by separation. There's been intense joy, joy intensified by good news. And now we see here great prayer, earnest, heartfelt praying, intensified because there's continuing need. The Thessalonians haven't made it yet. They've made it this far, but Jesus hasn't returned yet. They haven't yet reached the end of their life. There's more to go through. And so this is what he prays for them. He lets them know not just that he is praying for them, but what he is praying for them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. You might say, well, that's obvious. Well, he's not happy just with the good news. He knows he still needs to go back and he wants them to know that he thinks that. So he's saying, may God himself make the way for us to come back to you. And then he tells them in the interim, Timothy's been with you, but he's had to come back. We both still really want to come and be with you like we were before. And I hope to return. But in the meanwhile, here's what I'm praying. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So he prays that their love will overflow by the power of the Spirit, just like his love is overflowing all kinds of hindrances, willing to put itself out for the sake of the Thessalonians. May they have that same God inspired kind of love and then he says verse 13 may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our god and father when our lord jesus comes with all his holy ones so his concern extends right through to the second coming whenever that might be his desire is that 
that they will be presented to Jesus perfect and blameless in God's sight on that last day. His desire is to see them grow up to full maturity and, like any parent, to see them reach their potential. And he wants them to know that's his desire for them. And so that's his prayer for them. They should start praying that for themselves and trying as best they can in his absence to do what they can about it. That's his desire behind it all. He knows they're lacking in their faith, but his desire is that they would understand that, take it on board and start to pray into it. That's what spiritually mature people do. They pray. They don't just pray generic prayers. They pray eager night and day prayers into the very needs of the people that they're praying for. That's why we want to know what's happening with, with our church family who are out on the mission field to get news back from the field, specific news, so we can pray intentionally for them. It's why we have a monthly church missionary prayer meeting so we can pray for these people and uphold them because their work is difficult. And our heartfelt desire is to stand with them and let them know that we're praying for them and to actually pray for them according to their need. I wonder what your desires are when you pray for people. Is it your desire to actually pray into the needs of others? And it's interesting that Paul is willing to tell the Thessalonians what he wanted to pray for them, what he was praying for them. I think perhaps it can be helpful for us in our interpersonal conversations as we share with one another, not in front of an audience, not to, to big note ourselves or anything, but to, to either ask someone what they would like us to pray for them or to tell someone what we sense they need and what we're praying for them already. The very process of doing that shows love, shows care shows interest, shows connection, it shows Christ at work in a person's heart and life and the bond that comes in the Christian faith. It's a godly thing to do. It's what any parent would do for their child in the natural realm. And it's what Paul the Apostle wanted for the Thessalonians, so he let them know that. We're not all apostles, but if we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we have that same opportunity to uphold each other, to pray into each other's needs. So let's do that now. As we wrap this up, God has been at work. We see that when the gospel takes root in someone's life and amongst a group of people, there is spiritual life that results in the formation of a church family, new life in Christ. Paul, a Jewish person by birth, had such yearning desire for Gentiles by birth that 
overflowed any natural explanation because the Spirit of God was overriding Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male and female. His desire was to see Jesus at root take root in their hearts and lives and for them to grow to the full measure of the stature of the Son of God. Let's pray that for each other. Let's uphold one another. Let's do that during these COVID times and seek God about more ways for us to gather together and to encourage each other in Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God to us. We thank you that somehow, in a way we cannot yet fully explain, but we know your word teaches it, that your Holy Spirit enters our hearts and creates new life. And that resulting life is nothing less than the drive to gather others together and form your family on earth, just as it is in heaven. We recognise within us that the spirit of prayer that Jesus taught is our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We know it is to pray, give us this day our daily needs, our daily bread. We know it is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. So Father, will you please encourage us to pray for one another. To ask, how can I pray for you? To share our deepest yearnings more transparently. And to have such honest longing for one another that it's patently clear that our desire is to see people growing in Jesus and it's not about us. It's about you and your kingdom, your power and your glory. Will you please do this more and more? Guide us through these difficult times. Strengthen us in the uncertainty of, of how we can gather in these COVID-restricted times, that we might see your spirit rising up with creative options and energy to find new solutions to problems, to discover new angles, new ways to gather. Would you please show us this, Lord? Help us, we pray, for we are in need and we look to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.